0: Tonight, I want to encourage you in an interesting way to go further with God and deeper with Him, okay? And I'm just going to start by giving you my sermon in the sentence. Are you ready? You ready? You're going to need to write it down because it's going to be hard to remember. To go further with God, you must first familiarize yourself with flesh hooks and fire pans. Write it down. To go further with God, you must first familiarize yourself with flesh hooks and fire pans. Now, how many, just be honest, feel like, I need an explanation? Okay, let me give you an explanation. Um, I'm going to start this explanation by sharing with you the scripture that the Lord has just kind of been burning on my heart all week, all week. And that is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 once you turn to hebrews 4 because we're going to be there most of the time hebrews chapter four and in verse 16 there's a scripture that many of us are familiar with maybe even have memorized and it goes like this let us then approach god's throne of grace with confidence your version might say, let us draw near to the throne of grace, God's throne of grace. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Okay, now I'm going to pause there because this is the part most of us have memorized. And, and the church has got really good at quoting this verse. And in fact, when we quote it, we quote it like this. I mean, I'm going approach the throne of grace with confidence. I can go there. I can go to God with confidence. I can just approach God's throne of grace with confidence, and we have this idea that that rather flippantly we can come before the Lord, and there's all this these goodies and all this. I'm thinking about um, this word "draw near." Is it's something that was just all over worship and in the words that were given about drawing near to God, and, and the cool thing about it is that it's all. Absolutely, more than we could realize, true that we may draw near. And when we draw near to God's throne, it is a throne of grace, and the Father is the one sitting on that throne. You get a picture of the Father sitting on that throne, and when we come, we can sit on his lap. And all the benefits, all the grace, all the ability, all the empowerment that we need to deal with anything is on there. Here's the thing most people can quote that let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. And we, again, quote it almost in a misused way. Like I can go there without any kind of consideration of anything. But can I tell you that it's not true? And the reason is, is because there's more to that verse. It says, let, Therefore, let us draw near or approach with confidence to the throne of grace, comma, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help In time of need. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit more of this as we go, but look at that. There is a purpose for going there. It is so that we can receive mercy and find grace. Think of grace as the ability to uh, overcome, the, the power, the ability to handle the situation. That's why he says to find grace in our time of need. Now, we're going to kind of be all over this verse and coming back to it, but I want you to consider a couple things. He says, let us approach. God's throne of grace. Let us approach his throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy, find grace. What you might not realize just reading this, quoting it, is that this is Judaic lingo. Okay, when, when the writers of Hebrews says this, much of what you find in Hebrews is, is just talking about um, um, things that are kind of being pulled from, derived from Judaism. Okay, the Jewish faith. So this lingo that he's talking, let us draw near, let us approach God's throne, that's Judaic lingo. And there's this reference to the sacrificial system that God put in place for the Jewish people under the Mosaic law or the law of Moses, what we would call the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the laws and stuff. A huge part of that was the sacrificial system. And, and let me just, I'm gonna paint a little bit of a picture here because there was, a, there was a system of approaching God and being right with him that God put in place. It was called the tabernacle. It was the way that God taught um, the people the, how he was holy, how to approach him, how to come before him, how to consider him, how to prepare themselves to come before him, okay? And the goal in short, <laughs> was that once a year, the high priest of all of Israel would represent the nation of Israel and go into the furthest place into this system. It was a big tent, and at the back of the tent was I mean, a big uh, fence, and at the back of this tent was a um, there was a big fence, and at the back of the fence there was this tent. And the goal was to go all the way back to the back part of that tent, which was called the Holy of Holies. Inside of that Holy of Holies, that most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And above that, the lid was the mercy seat. So you could see it this way, that God came and he sat on what? He enthroned himself upon mercy. He sat upon mercy. That was the furthest place in the tabernacle system. That was the goal. That was what they were trying to approach, the very presence of God where his glory would dwell. And there was only one entrance into that fence. So let me say it this way. If you were going to connect with God, if you were gonna go be right with God, enjoy fellowship with God, if you were going to be made right with God, have your sins forgiven um, for that next year, you had to come in, through the door and start heading, approaching that holy of holies, the holiest place. That sounds pretty easy, right? But what you don't realize is that when they come through that gate, they ran right into something. Does anybody know what it was that they ran into? They ran into an altar. It's called the altar of sacrifice or the brazen altar. And I want you to get this because the goal was to get into the presence of God. But to get there, the first thing they had to do was do what they needed to do at the altar. They had to sacrifice. A few things about this altar that you may not know is that of all the things they had to deal with, the, the brazen laver, the washing bowl, inside was the lampstand or the menorah, the table of showbread, the altar of incense that was just on this side of that veil that they had to go through to get to the uh, Ark of the Covenant. All of those things, there's, a, there's seven, really seven main items. Of all of those, this was the largest item and it was the highest item. In fact, they would, they would um, wherever they, they would set the thing up, they would build this mound of dirt, do a lot of digging, bring dirt in, and they would build it up, and then they would put the uh, altar of sacrifice up high. So it literally stood higher than anything else. So think of this altar as the biggest thing and the highest thing in this system of worship. And it was the first thing they had to come to when they were going in. Okay, track with me. I'm going to pull it all together. In fact, if you want to turn to Exodus 27, let me show you something specific. Nobody ever talks about this, but there were some specific tools that were associated with the altar of sacrifice. Exodus chapter 27. I want you to turn there. I want you to see this because I want you to write something down. Look at Exodus chapter 27. This is where it gives a little bit of an explanation about the bronze altar. By the way, bronze in Scripture Is symbolic of judgment. So in chapter 27 of Exodus, in verse 3, it says several things before and after. You can read that on your own time. But look, it says, you shall make its pails or buckets for removing its ashes, its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You guys see that? Now you guys think of forks, you might be thinking, oh, that's that's where they also would do their picnics. Trust me, that's not where they would do their picnics. It would have been a bloody, nasty mess right there at the altar because they would sacrifice more bulls and animals than you could possibly imagine. Okay, now think, you have shovels, probably used for building up the mound, maybe shoveling the ashes out, um, basins that they would use to bring the ashes out. Um, And then it was forks. I want you to write this. You can circle forks or put a square around it. And to your margin, I want you to write this. Flesh hooks. Flesh hooks. Because that's what they were. There were these pronged hooks that you would use to grab the dead animal, and they would heave it up there. And there were probably more than one. There were probably several. But they would take it into the skin and they would put it up on the altar, okay? And then it says, it's fire pans. I'll just tell you what that is real quick. The fire pans are what they would use to take some of the hot coals from that altar on with them through the journey to the Holy of Holies. And just before they would get to the, um, the veil that separated um, the area where the Ark of the Covenant was, was the altar of incense. And so they would take they would take the coals from the altar of sacrifice to the altar of incense, and both were kept burning all the time. So there's this continual bringing of coals, okay? now Stay with me. The altar of incense is symbolic of prayers being lifted up, okay? And they would keep it all the time going up. Now, I want you to think about that. These flesh hooks and these fire pans. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter four. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace. When we get into the presence of God, there's something that is promised to us and that is grace. There's mercy. And like I said, people will, Boast in the confidence that I can go into the presence of the Lord. And this is what I get. I just jump on daddy's lap and I can just do whatever. And they can go in and then go out. And they can go in and they can go out. And did you know that it is possible to go in and to go out and not receive mercy and find grace? Well that doesn't seem like what it's saying here. It says we approach and that we, so that we can get that. Yes, but remember, it's going back to this Judaic lingo. And just in that old system, you have to take a stop at the altar. If you're going to go into the presence of the Lord where you would find the forgiveness and you would find, you have to come to the altar. Something's got to die. At some point, now back there in the system, it was, in, in the sacrificial system, there was you know, literally feet and yards between the altar of sacrifice and the holy of holies, the presence of God. It's not like that for us now. That system's been done away with. And yet, when we come into the presence of God, we don't forget the idea or the step of sacrifice. Do you hear what I'm saying? You look at that, the altar here, of sacrifice, remember we talked about it's the biggest and the, and the highest. And the reason that is, is because it was foreshadowing Christ. It was a picture of Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. I mean, everything about this altar, this is where the sacrifice for sin was sacrificed. And they would take the blood into the Holy of Holies and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And that was why we were able to receive mercy. Israel and then us now is because it was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin, we read in scripture. And so when I come before the Lord, I'm coming to the throne of grace with confidence. The reason I can come confidently is because of the work of the cross. Because what Jesus did, he was sacrificed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like I, I can't come in. Listen, I think people come into the, into the house of God or at home or whatever. I just come in and to the throne of grace with confidence and ask for things or whatever and there's no familiarity or no remembering of what Jesus has done can I tell you that you really can't come before God sit in daddy's lap and not consider what Jesus did on the cross and if you can then there's something that you're not dealing with and that's your sin it's just not possible there has to be a recognition Recollection of who Jesus is, what he did. I'm able to come with, um, in, into this moment and, and worship God and present to him my, my needs and, and, and try to find grace for help in time of need. I'm able to do that confidently knowing that he'll provide it because of the work of the cross. Because Jesus was sacrificed for my sin. For me not to think about that or consider that means that I'm probably also not going to address my sin. What are we coming to God for? We are coming, he says, to receive mercy. Like my motivation. What does he say? Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I can confidently come to, for what? Why? Just to ask for something? No, no, no. So I may receive mercy. Mercy for what? For my sin and forgiveness and find grace for help in time of need. But if I'm coming in, Without the second half of that verse, without an understanding that I can't come approach God with that, whoa, what's this? Oh, this is an altar. This is the altar. And consider sacrifice. First of all, the sacrifice for sin that Jesus sacrificed himself for our sin. Ephesians 3, Paul says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. We can do that, why? Because we consider him, in Him, what He did, and faith and belief in what He did, I can approach with confidence. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying we have to clean up, and and get all right before we come to God. No, what I'm saying is, is that when we come before God, there's a lot that we have to consider, and one of those things in the sacrificial system, the first thing you have to consider is death. Again, all that points to Jesus. The first thing we consider is the death of our Savior. Okay? Sacrifice for sin, which we can't accomplish. That was already accomplished on the cross. But we consider it and we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. But did you know that there is something else that you can do? You can consider the sacrifice of self. Now I want you to think about it. When we come in, what should our motivate, motivation be? So that we may receive mercy. It's a great motivation. And find grace to help in our time of need. That's awesome because he promises that he will help us in our time of need. That we can bring our prayers and petitions before God. Isn't that what scripture tells us? So we can do that. And we can do that with confidence. But listen to me. What about, <laughs> what about when that trial or that difficulty that we bring before him and ask for help, what about when that doesn't change? How do we come out of the presence of God? Disappointed? Let down? Disillusioned? Angry? Mad? Even bitter? With a group this size, there's a good chance that many in this room have found themselves bitter at God at different seasons in their life. And usually the reason is is because something didn't happen the way that we hoped it would or wanted it would, uh, wanted it to. Something didn't happen when we approached the throne of grace with confidence. Maybe we confessed our sin. Maybe we acknowledged Jesus. But did we put our own desires and our own will on the altar? Because if we didn't, there's a transaction that's not going to happen. If I have not come in with this complete um, resolution that whatever may be, God's got it under, under control and he will give me what? Grace. Consider, consider Paul. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He's, he's writing and he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me. Let me me slow down. He was a great guy, and God showed him stuff all the time. I mean, this dude knew Daddy's lap. Picking up what I'm laying. He knew Daddy's lap. For this, and God showed him stuff. But for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, remember, what was the highest piece of furniture in the in the tabernacle? The altar. What should be highest in our life? The sacrifice of Jesus. Right? And laying down our own will and being about whatever God's will is. Okay? So listen to what he To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, was it a messenger of Satan? Or was there a demon over there going, beep, 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 you know, I don't know. Or was he just like, this is really stinks. You know what I mean? I don't know. A messenger of Satan to torment me. But he did say this to keep me from exalting myself. There was something going on in my life that was just, it's like a thorn in the flesh. You guys ever get stickers in your feet or one in your hand and you're like, oh, you know, and it's it's like the most annoying thing in the world. He said, concerning this, I asked the Lord. It was so annoying. I asked, and disheartening and frustrating. I asked the Lord three times that it might leave me whatever this trial was, whatever this difficulty was, that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. Now think about what he's saying. When you come, what you need to find more than the solution to your problem or the doing away with your problem, what you need to walk away with is the grace to handle the problem. Do you understand what it takes to be able to present that to the Lord over and over and over again? And then to actually hear or discern the Lord say, I'm not gonna take it away. Okay, whoa, back up. You guys hear that? God told Paul, I'm not gonna take it away. I mean, he didn't say it. We don't read those words, but isn't that what God's essentially saying? My grace is sufficient for you. Do you understand to come into God's presence, to approach that throne of grace, the throne of grace, the Lord is seated upon grace and apparently he's seated upon uh, mercy and seated upon grace. And mercy and grace are are both two things we can find in his presence. To walk in there, ask for something to be taken away. Three times. Now, I personally think that he asked many times. I think he personally heard God say three times, my grace is sufficient. I think he asked over and over and over, and finally after the third time, you know, third strike, you're out, I guess. It's like, dude, my grace is sufficient. You cannot walk out of the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. You cannot crawl off of daddy's lap excited about life. Unless, before you climbed up there you had already laid these things on the altar. You grabbed that flesh hook and you put it up on the altar and you sacrificed it there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again, it's all this one big transaction. I'm not saying we do this here and then we walk over here and we do this. No, that system's gone. I'm just saying in that moment as we approach God, the throne of grace, that there's all these things that we consider. The first one we consider is sacrifice. Lord, Jesus, I am only able to even come and petition for myself, pray for myself because of the work of the cross. Thank you for the altar of sacrifice for my sin. And then we have to deal with our flesh. We have to deal with ourself. Our desires, what we want. Sink those forks those hooks into that flesh. you understand what I'm saying? And heave it up on that altar. What I want, this thorn to be gone. I want this sickness to be healed. I want this job to come my way. Whatever it is, we've got to heave it up there. And we, when we do, we are essentially saying, I'm letting God consume this. This is going to burn. Right now, my will, my desires are going away. And as I climb up on daddy's lap, what his desires and wills for my life is way more important. But if you don't do that, and I think about what we said, um, um, if to go further with God, you gotta be, familiarize yourself with flesh hooks, you understand now? You, you understand now? And fire pans. Because think about This. Whatever you put up on the altar, it's going to be consumed. It should be consumed. And what would they use the fire pans for? Take the the coals. And what is mingled in in those coals? My desires. (laughs) Burnt up, consumed. And I bring those to God and I present them to him. Like this is my desires, but Lord, I sacrificed them. I just want you to know that. Obviously, God knows everything. But that's what that system is about. There's a lot of people say, well, no, that's just about Jesus and we, can, we come because Jesus did this for me. And, and, um, I, and they treat grace like this. I don't even know what. This permission to keep sinning. Like I can come before God and not even address my sin. How is, that, how is it possible for me to stand before a holy, pure, righteous, clean, white as snow God and not be acutely aware of my shortcomings. How is that even possible? That is someone that is delusional. And I could go another 15 minutes about taking God's grace in vain. But I won't do that. I'll let you do that. I'll throw the nugget out there. But that's what we do when we don't acknowledge that. But listen, it's also about So let me go back to what I was saying. People will say that and they will say, well, God's grace is covering this. I can kind of do whatever. I can sin. I can do this. I don't have to address this because um, his grace is enough. I can approach the throne of um, God, the throne of grace with confidence. That is a completely opposite to something that Paul said. He said, yes, grace abounds. Yes, grace is is sufficient. Yes, grace covers. Yes, grace is the ability to endure and overcome sin. But just because grace abounds, we keep sinning? No, there's a thankfulness. There's a treasure in our heart concerning grace. When I approach the throne of grace and ask God for mercy and find grace, the ability to endure my stuff, there's a gratefulness. The motivation is so that I may find mercy uh, receive mercy and, and find grace. Whatever it is, my desire, meat hooks or flesh hooks, put it up there, and then the consumption of it, what's left over, I bring before the Lord and I put it there. Now, listen. I hope you're hearing my heart because, again, I'm not saying that there's all this stuff you have to do before you can approach God. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about our works, lest any man boasts. But the principles that we see in that old system, and there's so much to learn. I'm just, talking about the, I'm just talking about the altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar, the bronze altar, the place where our sin was judged. Our sin was judged there. And you know, what? we have to judge our, our flesh. In every life in this room, not just family, but every life, there are specific details of struggle, pain, hardship, need for grace in those times of need. Every, every person, there's not one person that's like, no, I'm good. If you are, then uh, can I talk to you after? <laughs> and I wonder of all, I don't know, 130, 140 people in this room, I wonder of, of those of us who have approached the throne of grace and appealed to God for this struggle to be gone, that thorn of the flesh, I wonder how many of us have sunk our flesh hooks into our own will and put it up on the altar and let God consume it. I wonder, you know, back up from that, I wonder how many of us, when we come before the Lord and we pray and we petition, we start, or we start with Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice, for the blood that was shed on the cross. We, we forget we forget. And let me tell you something. Can I tell you something? If there is not an awareness, most likely, most likely, the enemy has his hooks in your flesh. And he's just pulling you back, and there is no approach in your life to the gro- throne of grace. Can I just encourage and challenge everyone in this room tonight or when you go home to acknowledge the sin in your life? Now, at the end of the day, listen to me. At the end of the day, in spite of us, could God override all that and give us what we want? Give us what we need? Of course he does. And I believe there are probably times when he, when he does. <laughs> Because he's just a good, good father. That's who he is, right? But you cannot believe that the Lord enjoys. Because remember, a large part of a portion of our life is to please the Lord. You cannot believe that the Lord is pleased with over and over and over and over doing for us, doing for us, doing for us. And us taking that grace. There's another scripture that says that it grieves the Holy Spirit when we misuse God's grace. You, you cannot believe that God is excited about that. What, is he, what he is excited about is when we say, not my will be done, but yours be done. We offer him those coals. Let's stand. In Galatians chapter two, and Paul's really always talking this lingo. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. I'm dead. Do you guys see that? I'm dead. That's kind of another aspect. It's it's another way of saying my will, my desires, it's all been laid on the altar. I'm not even alive anymore. It's all Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, talking about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But now listen, a couple of chapters later he says those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to him. I have three sons and a daughter. And guess what? They're my children. They They belong to me. At least that's what TurboTax tells me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to me, have crucified the flesh with its passions, And with its desires. Let me say it again. Those who belong to God, children, children of the Father, those who belong to God, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That is part of the relationship. Those who are putting their flesh, putting their will, putting their desires, and what does it say? Their passions. On the altar, you guys. Let me just say this real quick. It doesn't even have to be bad stuff. It doesn't even have to be sin stuff or you know needs. It could be passions. Maybe somebody's been somebody's here and they they have wanted so hard so much to be a missionary. They wanted so much to accomplish this for God. That's still a passion or a desire. You got to put that on the altar. Because what if God's saying not yet? Not yet, not yet. He's not saying no, he's just saying not yet. But if we haven't put that on the altar and offering him those coals, we could walk away bitter and not be receiving his mercy, not be finding his grace. You therefore, my son, who's he talking to? So the good, good father, He's talking to his son, his children. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And where's the grace coming from? It's coming from Christ Jesus. Now listen, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Suffer hardships with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now listen, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. In Christ Jesus, no soldier is active. Uh, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Whoa, you got to hear that! No soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. In other words, everyday the stuff of everyday life—they don't help. They, no, I don't lose focus. I'm a soldier. Those everyday affairs of life—I put those on the altar. Those are gone. I'm not going to get tangled up with that. He himself uh, doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You guys seeing this? This is good stuff. I don't know if I'm saying it all right. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, which we talked about that last week, didn't you guys remember? How many of you are here for that? If anyone competes as an athlete, listen, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, you got to hear this. Because in that old system, and I know you're standing a long time. That's because I'm trying to teach you to persevere. Listen, in that old system that God laid out to show who he is, who we are in him and how his people may approach him, he set out some rules, some steps and we, we learn those and we understand those and, and not the letter of the law of those but the spirit of the law behind those and we learn them and we learn that these rules of, of receiving that mercy and finding that grace One of the rules is you have to stop at the altar of sacrifice. If you try to sidestep the altar of sacrifice and head towards the Holy of Holies, you're going to be disappointed when you get there because you won't receive mercy and you won't find grace. God opposes the proud, but what does he give to the humble? Is grace. I want to end with this one scripture, Hebrews 13. And we've quoted this really since the beginning of the year quite often. Through him, then, through Christ, let us continually offer up. Okay, what language are we talking? Judaic lingo. Through Jesus, the whole system of sacrifice was pointed to Jesus. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up. That's talking about sacrifice continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now, let me just end by saying this. The best way to test yourself, to know, have I used flesh hooks and firepans? Have I used, am I skilled with the flesh hooks And the fire pans. Here's the way you tell. Am I praising God in the midst of the situation? Because if you are, as hard and difficult it is, if you're praising him, you know it's a sacrifice. You know it goes against the grain. You know it goes against your will, your desires, your passions. But if you're praising him, if the fruit of your lips is praise, if you're offering up a sacrifice of praise... There's a good chance that you might be handling the flesh hooks and the fire pan. Which means there's a great chance that you will be able to go further with God. Amen.